0: What's
1: going on, everybody? This is the Unguided Podcast. I'm your host, Big Daddy, and your co-host, Trac Mills. What an intro again! You're, <laughs> you're starting to sound more and more of like a legend. How, how's your day going, though, man? I'm mm. Kane.
0: It's going well for a Saturday.
1: Well, I mean, it, it could be going well for a Saturday, but unfortunately, it's Sunday, bud. Um, <laughs> shit, dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, fuck, I man. mean, you. You did did you drink a little too much vodka last night
0: a little bit probably
1: I mean Fuck, that you, really you ruined dabbled vibe, dude yeah I mean, I mean you know we were supposed to um go duck hunting today it was the last duck hunt of the year and we our buddy, had our, like, we had every intention to go and you know our buddy just texts us at like midnight last night hey it's a it's a no-go this this and that and we're just like, damn, dude. What if we were like sleeping and we would have woke up to that text? Everything would have been
0: fucked. You're so just talking about a boat or something. Ev- we had
1: a boat. Everyone ended up canceling on us late at night. Oh, so nice. me and me and Mills looked at each other. Um, we got up and we're just like, "What do you want to do?" And I'm like, "I can promise you on the last day, knowing what I know on the last day, I ain't going to fight public. We don't got no boat. We're gonna have to walk everywhere." Yeah. Which it's not we that. We had big that of a deal, opportunity,
0: but... but I don't think it would be worth it.
1: No, not even at all. Or we could have drove to a private spot that, you know, produces a little bit, but I mean, you know, I don't think we would have banged him on or, or anything like that.
0: Yeah. So. so it was it was it is what it is. We got goose season coming up, so we have a guest that we have on the line today. Um, he's a hell of a goose hunter and we're looking forward to talking to him. And you know, when you transition to
1: different seasons from waterfowl to snow goose season it takes a lot um and so you know we got this guy on who we're gonna have on today um jr what's going on man
2: what's going on
1: jr Borchel, jr borsche excuse me is the owner operator of waterfowl assassins um we were just kind of talking about how um earlier before we get into talking about things uh Today was the last day of duck season, and our buddy did the old text at 12 a.m., 1 a.m. this morning and canceled on us, so we couldn't even go hunting today. Yeah. Is that shit, doesn't that shit piss you off when people cancel on you?
2: Yeah, but uh, in my line of work, if you cancel on an outfitter, uh, you're not going to get your money back. No, yeah. not
1: even. Not yeah.
2: even. Yeah. I mean, If your your buddies cancel on it, you're just kind of like, well, all right, well, I guess I'll try somewhere else next time.
1: Yeah, like for us, it was fine because, you know, we really didn't want to, and you know how it is, last day you got all those so-called duck hunters that want to go out and and fight for the spot last day, but meanwhile they weren't hunting the previous 59 days. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let's get into a little bit about this. Transitioning uh, duck season ended today. For us down here in Texas, I'm pretty sure it ended up – Today was the last day in Arkansas as well. Um, you guys are transitioning over to snow goose hunting. What's that transition like for you guys? Like, what do you, what do you guys all have to do in order to get ready for snow goose season?
2: Well, it's been kind of a process here. We've had a couple of days where we had uh, some afternoons off or something. We've been just, just trying to sort things out, make sure rotaries and collars and stuff work. Uh, on some of these days, we've been uh, – a little slower, so uh, we're kind of pretty much all organized, all we gotta do is everything's labeled, I got everything labeled in trailers now, so all I gotta do is uh, pull out certain certain bags, I'll have like uh, spread one, like there'll be like seven, eight bags, say like spread one, spread two, spread three, and then rotaries, we, we do like two, three rotaries per spread, everybody's got their own flags, everybody's got their own e-collars, they're all labeled a number too, so to try to keep everything as organized as possible because say an e-collar goes down or a rotary goes down, you can you can remember like oh uh, like say if you're guiding for me, you text me and say hey rotary number one just shot the crap or uh, e-collar number three um, is bad or battery number four is bad or something like that, and then we can remember which one it is and we're not because all these batteries look the same, all these e-collars look the same. I mean everything is exactly the same (laughs) so when you look at it like you're just like okay well this battery wasn't i've been down that river before so now we pay a little bit more attention to uh labeling things and make sure and
1: and explain to these people that have never been snow goose hunting the process and a lot of people just think oh i'm gonna go out and throw out you know a couple dozen goose decoys that's not the process at all you have like you said, you have many different spreads for different fields. I mean, what do you? what's your average spread? I mean, anywhere from 1,500 to 3,000 decoys per spread that you're picking up and putting out? Because a lot of people also don't know this. The way you're hunting snow geese is they jump feed every day. So you have to find a new feed every day. And And also let the people know when you're looking and scouting for a feed, what are you looking for? I mean, are you going to touch something that's 5,000 birds, 10,000 birds, 20,000 birds? What's the minimum you'll go in order to feel like it's going to be successful and worth your time to set up those 1,500 to 3,000 decoys? Because it is a process. I've I've been a part of it with you, and, I mean, it ain't no joke. You can still have 10 guys setting up decoys, and it still just seems like, it. yes, it goes
2: faster. <laughs>
1: yes, and it, it seems like it takes longer because people are always just in the right way trying to do anything. And, I mean, Tell us that process and how many decoys you like, burst spread, and everything like that.
2: So, we started down south here in Arkansas, as you know. Um, and now, like I said, going back to the organization thing, um, we usually have a a number that we're pretty comfortable with down here is about 1,200 decoys. Uh, and we got down to a science now. We can set like 1,200 decoys. Uh, approximately about two hours tops. Like, that's about usually if we're really, really getting it going, we don't have any problems getting in the field and, you know, the conditions are right, not frozen or whatever. sticks go on the ground really easy. It doesn't take too long to stab 1,200 decoys. Um, and then we usually do the electronics in the morning when we show up there. So, like, we'll take our e-callers out. We try not to take any. Leave electronics out overnight. You never know. It could rain in the middle of night. the night. Decoys can survive in the rain. The electronics, not so much. So we usually take, like, the rotaries and the batteries and the e-collars and stuff out in the morning. And then all the stuff that can survive weather, uh, we usually can put out the night before. But, so like, both of us in Missouri, we're running big spreads up there. I mean, our minimum spread up there is 1,500-ish. Most of our spreads are two thousand decoys or more. Um Yeah, that spread that spread, that that spread
1: was, in northwest Missouri is no joke. That was that was fifty five hundred decoys.
2: Wasn't it? Yeah, that that year that uh Bobby Guy Damn and then it came with us uh, that big hill there it was like uh, right around five thousand decoys uh, 5,500. I fifty five hundred out on others. Mostly all uh, dive bombs at the time. Um and this year we'll have a couple uh big spreads. Uh, what do you, know, you, what are you right running
1: now? mostly? What, what, what's your choice of decoy, tangle free dive bombs or, or what do you run? Well, DOAs
0: or.
2: I have a, a big spread of tangle freeze. Um, I'm just trying to, they're still in good shape. I'm going to use them until pretty much they're shot. I got them for a good price. Um, uh, but I mostly use uh Skyflies as a stock decoy now. I mean, they're Chinese made, but I've ran them now for a few years. Uh, we had a couple couple spreads over the years that have lasted pretty well, and for their price, you really can't beat them. And when you're an outfitter, you can save money on some decoys. Uh, you're gonna make more money in the long run if you don't have that overhead. So it's just like that with any business owner. But um, we also run, yeah, we have a big spread of full body two and round chicken down, and chicken down has been Yo. pretty good. job. Hey, hey, Jed, this uh, is
0: Trek. Sorry to interrupt, but I have a few questions for you as a first-time waterfowler. And first of all, why the hell do y'all use so many decoys? That's number one. What the fuck is an e-collar? And then, what kind of blinds are y'all using for to hunt geese in general? I don't even know because I've never been goose hunting. And he's a
1: he's he's my buddy who I started taking this uh, year, and he's obsessed. He's ate with it, and I was trying to explain him all this and what you do and this is this not and and he's like this is just unreal because you know when we go out we're setting you know five six seven dozen decoys and you know his eyes just got big when you're like five thousand decoys he's like yeah. what in yeah. the hell so he, well, uh-huh. he kind of wants you to explain a little bit e-collars blind situation and, and why so many decoys I know why but for people out there that don't know why why do you like to use so many decoys
2: so Snow geese, you know, you watch them feed or or fly together. They're always huge flocks. And waterfowl, in general, are are a social bird. so And they all associate large numbers and safety. So I've always been a strong believer in strength in numbers. Um, If you have a big spread, they're going to be a lot more apt to want to feel comfortable to come in there, knowing that it could be safe and that there's food there. So most of the time you see a lot of birds in the field. What are they doing there? They're eating there. And then why are they eating there? Because it's safe. So uh, waterfowl need three things. They need water, food, and habitat. So they if they don't have the habitat, it all ties into a few different things. Habitat would be a general safety, and habitat can also include the water the food part too but um they definitely need the other two water and food
1: i agree a hundred percent you know i mean the where you're from in missouri and where i'm from back home in iowa where we grew up i mean my my daddy was always as men and i didn't understand it at the time but now i'm a firm believer any decoy i can get my hand on i am throwing out i don't care how long it takes what i got to do i'm throwing it out because That's what people don't understand. And and you know this, but you know, everybody has three to four dozen decoys. Everyone has, you know, a mojo. What can you do to separate yourself to look different from, you know, other spreads? And if, if a guy to the right of me has a hundred out at a permanent blind, you know what I'm doing? I'm putting 400 out. I'm going to triple the size of what he has because I'm trying to make it look like you said, make these ducks look like, are comfortable and sitting there all day, every day, or whatever the fact, whatever the case may be. You know what I mean. You you brought up a valid yeah. point. People just don't understand that. All they look at is is man, we got to set out five thousand decoys. Well, you're not getting the big picture here. We're trying to pull every bird in the county. And if you look at these yeah. feeds, what are they doing? They feel comfortable. You know what I mean. So people just don't understand. A, wife,
2: a wise man once told me a long time ago, because uh, this is my 18th year guiding and my 17th year in operation. So um, I've been around here for a little while, but a uh, wise man once told me, if you can't get on the X, make the X a hundred percent. And that's, I've and always, that's true. I've
1: hunted, I've, tra- I've ha- we've, we, we I've hunted traffic with you before and I understood it, but some other people didn't understand it. You know what I mean? And when you're running traffic, like you said, make the X, make it what you want these geese or ducks to believe. Hey, this is where they were last night and we're supposed to be there again well why is it over here and you're just creating an illusion for these birds it's okay go ahead and sit down put your feet down tuck your boots and go ahead and have a feast and you know I want to backtrack a little bit you said you've been in the business for 18 years had your own business for 17 years how did you get tell us a little bit about your background when did you start waterfowl hunting who got you involved into waterfowl hunting and what made you to decide to start a business? Because you're not much older than me. You're in your mid-30s. And if you've been doing it for 17 years, 17 years I mean, that means you started your business at 17, 18 years old, if I'm correct, if, if the math's correct. So who it was, introduced uh, you to that?
2: So, uh I, I primarily grew up in a deer hunting family. And, uh, I mean, I still love to bow hunt and everything, but uh, waterfowl turned into a main passion. Um. High school i really got into it doing it my, on my own and then when i was a kid we would go goose hunting uh my cousin had a couple pits that were i mean you talk about a pit it's very loosely termed. like my, my cousin went out and, and with his backhoe and dug a hole in the ground they put a couple pieces of plywood in there so you weren't leaning against dirt and we had like two dozen Bigfoots and about four dozen homemade black like a white silhouette made out of plywood that my cousin, my dad, and my uncle made. And we shoot honkers over that back in the early 90s. And <clears throat> I remember I had my grandpa's only band on my lanyard. He shot that when I was like six or seven. And I remember that day pretty vividly. And uh, so I guess if, if we really had to talk about who got me into waterfowl hunting abuse, you, you know, my family, my dad, my grandpa, my uncle's cousins and stuff, we all hunt together. Growing up, and uh, when I got in high school, we moved from Illinois, northern Illinois, to the Kansas City area right before I went to high school. And I found some public ground and started duck hunting uh, with a couple of buddies I made in in high school. And uh, I really got into snow geese mid high school time, like sophomore, junior year, and stuff. And I started guiding for an outfit in northwest Missouri uh kind of as a, a helper type thing, you know, I helped set decoys and all good stuff for a little little bit of time during uh spring break and everything. And I kinda branched out of my own after high school and kinda did some honker hunts. I was really big into shooting shoot honkers, so um I did uh honker hunts on like weekends and stuff and I worked full time back in back then and I I didn't take waterfile passes full time until 2015, and that was when I felt comfortable enough that I could do this and carry my weight all season long and all all through uh, the summertime. So it's turned into quite the operation over the years. It went from my doing weekends and playoff times and I was uh, working at the millwright, and uh, now I do it full-time, and i got a crew of guys, and we run multiple states. And uh, we chased snow geese from last year. I, I chased snow geese from Arkansas to three miles from, well, less than three miles. It was a, Literally, a, the next field up was the Canadian border in North Dakota, North Dakota is where we found out that. So and it was the crazy chase last year, 1200 that, miles, and lots wow. of good snow geese.
1: And that's the next question I was going to ask you. What is a typical JR lifestyle? Because, you know, if you start up in Canada, which I don't know if you go to Canada anymore like you used to, but um, I know you go to other states like Indiana and Minnesota and stuff like that, but, I mean, what's a typical year look like for you? Let's, let's start from September all so the way to the following September.
2: Now I've kind of fallen into the, the cracks of where I want to be at. We start the first of september in uh minnesota running early geese hunt uh during the early canada goose portion and then i'm up there for a week or two weeks depending on what other stuff i got going on usually i come back to missouri and uh kind of wait out do a little bit of early geese hunt in missouri which our season is very long it's like nine days now it's like uh, two weekends and the weekdays in between and then uh This year, I got to go on a little vacation before duck season started. I needed a little time to unwind, so uh, I traveled to Arizona and came back uh, mid-October and got everything ready for duck season. Our duck season doesn't open until November 7th this year, so and we didn't run, we didn't start any clients till November 11th, whenever our goose season opened too. So we want to want to have the opportunity to. Be able to have the chances to shoot geese and ducks. Hey, Jr.
0: This is this is track here with all that traveling. Do you ever get a break or a chance to just like hang out? I mean, how does it work? Seems like you're working pretty uh-huh. really hard.
2: I kind of live life as a nomad. I mean, I I like to just get out and get around and see different parts of the world. And I I kind of grew up traveling. My, My parents uh, always took vacations, family vacations and stuff every summer. So I've been to most of the World 48 and several countries and everything over the years. It was uh, pretty fun. I've been to Canada about 15 15 times or so. And uh, I like to uh, just go see new things and experience new things and hunt in different states. Um, I never not ever wanted to go hunting those states. I, I have some bucket list uh trips that i like to do but it's really hard for me to get away during season and uh it's just like anybody else has got any ambition it's hard to keep it still
1: oh yeah i mean like i always tell this story you know and we always joke around you know everyone wants to be a guide what does it take to be a guide like and i said you know you better have a work ethic because if you don't you're gonna you ain't gonna last long in this business and track brought up about how much sleep you got. And when I was working for you in 2017, I came back to Denver and my boss was like, Hey, you know, I'll let you start back to work on May. So that means I had all of April off. I literally took all of April from April 1st to May 1st to literally just sleep. And I, I, just to catch up on, get my body right. People just don't understand. Like you got these guys like, Oh, I can go this, this and that. Like, uh, That year, I hunted 110 days in a row. And I tell you, I mean, like, it took a month for me to recover, and it was just ridiculous. I mean, like, what's your recovery time? When do you start to wind down? Because I know you hunt all the way up, obviously chasing the snows in in Missouri, where you're from, northwest Missouri. When when do you actually wind down? End of April, start of May? Because you sometimes, you get a chance to go up north and chase the snows a little bit. Or do you pretty much cut it off in Missouri and wind down from there at the end of March?
2: Yeah. Um, so we'll go off last year. <clears throat> we'll go off from February first last year. Um, we started in Arkansas and we ended like the twenty-first or twenty-second or something like that. And then I headed to Northwest Missouri to set up and get everything ready. Basically, I don't really have any off days during snowboard season at all. I mean, I'm I'm out there with the guys, you know, just as well as anybody else. I'm pretty hands-on when it comes to uh being a boss, anyway. So I mean, I'm. <clears throat> always helping get stuff ready or setting spreads so after Arkansas we head up to northwest Missouri I get to sleep in my own bed for a few weeks and it's pretty nice but uh we got uh usually the last weekend of February till middle of March we we're there and then after that we go to South Dakota so uh, we we're in South Dakota for about a week and a half till the COVID stuff really started happening this year, uh, in spring 2020. So once uh, all that started getting crazy, the news was going up, toilet paper was flying off the shelves, and people were talking about how states were going to shut down travel and stuff. We uh, called our clients for like the next week and a half, two weeks or something that we had and, and said, hey, just uh, reschedule next year. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, we're just going to pack up and head home up in case something gets wild and everybody agreed to that and so we I kind of caught up on a little bit of sleep there for a couple weeks and then a couple of my buddies in North Dakota were like hey man birds are starting to show up if you want to come up and hunt come up and hunt so uh, I called a couple other buddies and we got a little crew together and I threw a few hundred decoys in the bed of my truck and some rotaries a couple e-collars and my dog and hit the road 12 hours from Northwest Missouri, Maryville, all the way to Minot, North Dakota. And, uh, I left early in the morning, got up there late in the evening. Um, my buddy already had a field picked out, so the next morning we went and set up and started killing snow geese up there. And <laughs> I stayed up there until the 1st of May. And this season closes the 10th of May. And, uh, I tell you what, it was a grind this year. Oh, so, you, I mean,
1: so, I mean, if you're doing everything right, I mean, just giving these viewers a picture at home, September the 1st, let's just call it, you said you're done hunting like the 15th of May or whatever it was. Let's just call it, you get home June 1st. I mean, you're hunting 10 months out of the year. I mean, that's a grind. Well, I, I mean,
2: I technically hunted from September 1st, my a little bit of time between early good season and duck season about a month that i don't really i'm not really hunting much but i I might bow hunt some where i'll be prepping for duck season getting blinds ready and stuff but then safely from the first of november all the way to the first of may it's pretty much non-stop every day no days off and then after the first of may i Throw everything in the in the barn and just say I'll look at this in a couple months because I'm about ready to sleep, going hibernating hibernation. And then my sleep schedule gets so messed up after season because I, I I'll sleep in. I'll, I'll fall asleep at 9, 10, 10 o'clock at night and I'll wake up at noon the next day not knowing where I'm at. <laughs> <We're> like, exactly? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I no, it, like, that happens to everybody. And everything else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, we
1: started we started the we started the podcast off um, today. Um, track goes. Um, you know, hey, doing pretty good for a Saturday. I looked at him, button and I said, it's Sunday. You got to understand yeah. where I at. And, you know, <laughs> it, throws, it throws your days off. And he doesn't even obviously do it as much as you being a first time waterfowl. But I wanted to go back and backtrack about what you said earlier about COVID hit and not knowing. I mean, you don't have to give a number if you don't want to, but did you keep all your clients or what was the percentage of clients you lost or did you gain more clients from it because it gave people an opportunity to actually get away from the office since people were having to maybe stay at home for two weeks or take off two weeks and, and maybe and do something a little different. Did it help you or hurt you? What, what, what happened with COVID with so your business?
2: From canceling clients, uh, right about the, last week in March there in South Dakota, I mean, it kind of stuck there for a little bit. Uh, a lot of people didn't know what was going on in the world. And uh, a lot of people didn't know if they're going to have a job or if they're going to be laid off or furloughed for however many months at a time. So <clears throat> a lot of times, you know, like any guy service that does this on a year to year basis, like they'll collect deposits all summer long for the next year and, I didn't see very many deposits at all. Like a normal year, it's pretty steady. But this year, like June and July, and part of August was like very, very slow on that because everybody was just didn't know. And then September, October rolled around. And everybody started really thinking about hunting. Everybody's like, okay, I'm working. I think it's going to be okay. And then October, the whole month of October, people were like, yeah, "What room? What room do you have? What room do you have?" And I, you know, my regulars that come back every year, and uh, some new guys, you know, new clients that come in for this year, uh, booked quite a bit, quite a bit early, like really kind of before season ended, so they were ready for next year already. But uh, as far as like getting new bookings and stuff, like it was, <clears throat> it was rough until. Like I said, September, October, and all November, December, and January, I've been booking for snow this season like crazy. Now everybody knows we're able to work, and it seems like there's going to be a decent hatch this year. There was a decent hatch this year. I'm watching the feed out. I'm sitting here on my my bed in my bedroom at the house in Mississippi, and right across the street, uh, one of the fields that I got, there's. Twenty thirty thousand 30,000 snow geese that we're going to hammer tomorrow. So it's real nice. I would got to jump on the side by side, go across the road to the tonight. So um, it's going to be crazy, I think, in the next year or so to see how this whole uh, pandemic plant plays out. You know, I don't want to get too much into politics or anything about this because it is extremely political, but um, I just hope that small businesses. Don't suffer anymore from this, and I hope everything starts picking up across the country because it, it was kind of scary there for a little bit. I didn't know what going to do because, um, like, everything was shut down. Like, how are you gonna how are you gonna make money? You own know, a small business. There is no uh, no back pay or nothing. Like, there's nothing. I luckily had enough money saved up that I it pretty much carried me through those slow times. But,
1: um, were you worried about, were you worried about, um, sorry to interrupt, but were you worried about, um, because I know you, you have guides that work for you. Were you worried about having to maybe downsize on getting rid of some guides in order to get yourself through? Because obviously when times are normal, let's say you make an X amount of money and you can afford to pay your guys. Well, now let's say you lose. Fifteen to twenty percent of your clientele, because of everything that's going on in the world. I mean, you got to make some cuts, don't you? Or do you just fight through it? So, and or how does that work for a small business owner like yourself?
2: Missouri and Arkansas duck season, I cut down pretty much to one group a day, maybe two groups a day. Uh, I did not want to overextend myself. Um, I did not know what was going to happen, so I just tried to fill as many dates as I could for one group weekends uh, i could do a couple groups but uh usually a uh, normal year it'd be like four groups a day and everything was just so crazy and <clears throat> there's other factors too especially like duck trees in missouri spring 2019 we had that catastrophic flood there and it destroyed a lot of farms around everybody got planted this spring the fast spring so everything was uh you know most mostly ground down there it was Able to hunt again, except for uh, you know those pump controls and stuff that were uh, destroyed in the flood that cost thousands and thousands of dollars to fix. Especially of so these farmers have multiple pumps, and they don't really do much irrigation up there anymore, uh, so they don't really need to. It was another uh, priority list to fix. So,
0: yeah, and hey, uh,
2: did you
1: did you did you notice? anything different with obviously Canada being shut down? Did you notice it harder to hunt? Obviously everyone knows it was, it was a tough year for everybody, but I mean, if we would have had that pressure in Canada, do you think it would have made it better or, or no? And me knowing that Canada shut down, you get all these guys that, you know, man, that's going to help us. What people don't understand. And this is me. And this is my, this is my thought process. I could be totally wrong. And, and I'm okay with that, but I'm like, If you think about it, as long as, like you said earlier, as long as ducks have three things, they have their habitat, they have their water, and they feel comfortable, you know, they're not going anywhere. If they're in Canada and they're Dakotas, and as long as all that's open and available to them and they have no pressure, they're not going anywhere. So did you see a difference, even though it was a tough year, or did you think it was still the same with Canada being closed?
2: So, I don't know... How many ducks, like, okay, if we're talking about ducks, I don't know how many ducks are really north of Missouri right now. I know Missouri had quite a few ducks until they just had a couple of recent snowstorms here and some cold, cold weather. So, um, that being said, we had some early storms in uh, late October and early November, push birds down. We had a pretty stellar duck season in Northwest Missouri, I'm not going to lie. It was probably one of my favorites. Um. I dry field hunted more than I've ever dry field hunted ever. I I was if you saw me, I was probably in my dry field set and Yeah, a lot of uh, your we Snapchats
1: had, were of you um in a dry field set with uh an ungodly amount of mojos and um decoys. Woo,
2: so. <laughs> <whoop>! <laughs> yeah, we had uh um, eight hundred snow goose decoys, twenty dozen mallard decoys, twenty dozen spec decoys, and about you know, any given day it was four to twenty roba uh, spinners. So we'd uh, <coughs> depend on the day and how how ambitious we were, I guess. Well, Jr. Or with that being matters. said,
0: <laughs> with that being said, I mean, I got a question for you. What do you like to hunt the best? Canada's snows, or ducks, and then in, in what state do you like to hunt them in the best?
2: What's your Ooh, favorite? Okay, state? so. Uh, uh, let me give you this. I'll give you what I like to hunt state. So, um, I really love hunting honkers in Minnesota. I mean, the honker hunt in Minnesota is second to none. I I, mean, that's what I heard. I heard if
0: you've
1: got to get up and get to Minnesota. I don't know anybody up there, and that's something I would love to do because me being from where I'm from, well, we're both Midwest boys, so, you know, honker Canada hunt is second to none. You know what I mean? So Yeah,
2: and uh, I I – I've hunted, like you said, Indiana. I've hunted Indiana for years and years. i got a really good buddy, Ryan Reiner, out there. It was in the Indianapolis area. We ran some hunts out there for a few years and tried it out. It worked out pretty well, but it's not really a hot spot for waterfowl, so it's kind of different. But uh, some of my favorite honker hunts that I could ever remember were with him out, out uh, by Indianapolis and uh, shooting honkers out there, too. And it's a early season out there. has been phenomenal in the years I've gone. Um, I've gone late season a few times and killed honkers and mallards out of the same field, like literally right across the road from the high school. <laughs> so that was pretty fun. And then uh but ultimately, uh, snow geese is my passion. I've been a snow geese hunter for this whole time I've been guiding, so What drives I you about really,
1: those snow geese? Is it that Do they taste good? Is is is, is it that it, they're hard to figure out? Is it just the work putting it into I, I, it Because me that's what I, I've hunted almost any species you can think of too, besides obviously going out to the East coast and hunting those birds on the Atlantic flyway. But I mean, I, I, to me, there's still nothing better than killing a greenhead. So like, what is your reasoning to be being obsessed with your, um passion for snow geese. And if anybody who knows Waterfowl Assassins, you know he you look at your logo and that's what it is. It's it's branded around everything, but more so the snow geese the snow yeah. goose brand. So wh- why do you love chasing snow geese? What 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 do you get off from that? You know what I mean?
2: So you said you like green hair hunting. I mean um I like hunting mallers too but if I'm gonna hunt now, anywhere and be in a dry field anywhere hands down. hundred
1: percent hundred no percent
2: geese, no geese kinda of carry this it's a chase I think and it's a challenge. uh I try to surround myself with guys that, that enjoy chasing snow geese as much as I do. So they know what to look for, you know. We're looking at a feed that are 10, far Try to try to get on a good mix of juvies. And if you get on a really good juvie feed uh, it could be a really high number a day. Um, it could be like that one day we killed all the rockies. We killed like 147 geese and 140 rockies. And uh I love shooting rockies. I love to love how they work. I love how acrobatic they are, and I love just how they just they come ripping in. Tail. What do you
0: mean, 140? That's a lot of bird, man! Holy
2: smokes! We killed,
0: we killed 25
1: this year, and and track was um super uh, thrilled about that. So he, I cook. He doesn't understand. Like 140, you would take that honey hunt any day of the week, but that's not even your best hunt, is it, Jr? I mean, you've killed what three, four, five hundred in one sit before? No way! Oh yeah,
2: yeah. It's, we've had several, several hunts of them. What's the limit? What's into, a limit and up three, three so, hundreds and the four hundreds before. But I, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of old school. When I started this, there was no social media. There was no Instagram. There was no Facebook. There was barely even my MySpace back then. So, and I had a website that was so janky, like you wouldn't even know, <laughs> like it looked like a twelve-year-old did it. But I have a web designer now, uh, Jameson. Uh, Domo, good guy. I Super good luck. And some tracks. Me and him have worked together on uh we created some tracks to go, like a new rock Boss track. Uh, I actually has recordings of mine in it. Um so of course I'm gonna run Snow Delmo tracks and uh, Yeah, Jameson,
1: I hunted with Jamison that one time with you. He's a He's a hell of a good guy, um, very knowledgeable, and he's came out with a pretty good uh, product, Snows Down Low, and that's what you use for your, for every every day soundtrack, correct?
2: Yeah. Um, and So I primarily use like the Ross Boss track or any of those variations and then I like using, like on my loud detailer, that's what I call a streamer or whatever, I run that doing Devil track, and I run that super loud if I'm trying to get a to turn or something or I'm holding that speaker up, and pull those birds off from a distance and they it it works really good and uh if you're in the spread with me um granted i got a a half dozen guys in house now they're all gonna be running spreads um so if you're with me i'll have my custom made uh e collar that just it just rips and it's yeah, and, yeah, snow, and,
1: and snow goose, <laughs> the way I iterate why you love it so much is because it's more of a challenge than it is duck or goose. Not saying duck and goose hunting isn't a challenge, but I mean, I've been there before with you and we watched a feed. I can vividly remember it like it was yesterday. We watched a feed. I think it was ten to 15,000 birds and me and old Mr. John went and guided that day. And the next day they were nowhere to be found. And it's just, they make you look so stupid if you... Don't really understand what they're doing, you know, and it's fun, you know, chasing them and jump feeding and this, this and that. But at times it gets very aggravating. What's the most aggravating thing about a snow goose? I know for me, knowing you're set up where you need to be and they just they just fly right over you and don't even give you a look. And it's like, what are we doing wrong? I mean, what's what's the thing that aggravates you the most about chasing snow goose?
2: I don't even know if it's really error on our part sometimes i think uh i mean we're chasing a wild animal we're chasing uh, a wild animal that travels in flocks of hundreds if not thousands and there's a lot of eyeballs a lot of weariness look at you and if you're chasing birds that are primarily adults those birds are a lot more wary than the young dumb ones which everybody likes to chase but um that hunt that I think you're referring to was like 10,000 doobies. And the next day they just did not show up. And I, mean, yeah. I think he think Yes, it was ridiculous.
1: I didn't, I didn't understand yeah. that at all. You know what I mean? I mean, I understood I, it, but I just was like, we sat here, watched them, waited till they left, came back, set up. And then, I mean, we saw, don't get me wrong. We still saw all the birds, but they just wanted nothing to do with us. I was just like, it just didn't understand. I didn't I understand so. how why they could uh, do that.
2: If one warm weather, warm weather pattern came in at night, you know, you could come out in the morning, there'd be frost on the decoys, but there could be no wind. Uh, wind is a big part in snow goose hunting success, but, you know, keeping those decoys moving. Um, if you ever watch the feed, which I know you have, and other people out there have never seen a snow goose feed, those geese are moving rapidly through a field. They are looking and searching for food. Aggressively and they're probably the most aggressive feeding waterfowl out there. I mean mallards are probably a sec- a close second to that. Mallards are very aggressive feeding too. You know, They're telling other other birds to get away, get away, get away, get and away. They jump
1: I'm feed, they're jumping each other to, to get ahead of you know uh, the others so they can get an advantage. Um, it's it's crazy how they, you know, they work and how they do their thing. Let's let's switch. I've
2: watched uh, I've watched a snow goose feed one time. Uh, in central Missouri, and we just had, I don't know, a few inches of snow, and uh there's probably, I don't know, I'd say, let's say about 20,000 20, birds in the field, and I was sitting there with binoculars looking out my truck window, just looking at birds, looking for bands, you know, whatever, taking some pictures here and there, and all of a sudden, I see this goose running across through all the other geese, it was a doobie smell, had a whole ear torn in its mouth, long ways, <clears throat> Sticking out looks like a dog, you know, with the stick in its mouth, like sticking out long ways, not across ways, long ways, running away from about 20 other snow geese chasing them because they wanted that corn too, and that's how aggressive snow geese are, whenever they feed. Like down here, they are getting fat and eating rice and winter grass and winter wheat, whatever they can find, to fill their bellies before they make this trip back north. And here in about three weeks, they're really going to start pushing
0: and that's whenever we're waiting for them. Let's
1: fucking go, dude. Let's go. Let's let's, uh, let's switch to um, a different thing because I know everybody wants to know this answer. Snow goose season is here. It's hard work. There's a lot of shit that needs to be done. When you're looking for guides, what do you look for? I mean, there's a lot of different things you can look for. I mean, is it hard work? Is it knowledge? Is it... Um, so they knowing how, knowing story. how to set a spread. I mean, what are you looking for? Yeah. Because Jr., you know this as well as anybody. Everyone out there thinks they got what it takes to be a guide, and a lot of these guys don't have what it takes. It's not it's not shaming them or anything, but they do it once or twice and like, oh, I feel like it's those people that just want to make you know pile picks and they want to seem cool on all these social Can't media platforms. Lazy. But a lot of these guys that are really, 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 really good at a, at guiding. Most of them don't put a lot of their stuff up and, you know, they just put their head down in their grind. So when you're going to hire guides, what are you looking for?
2: Well, like, uh, um, I just hired a bunch of with a screw now. And uh, basically, I wanted guys that were experienced with snow geese hunting that enjoy hunting snow geese and chasing snow geese because they're going to know what to look for. They're not going to complain, you know. Some guys are like, oh, they're mostly like a duck guy or mainly like a speck guy or mainly a can a goose guy. You know, I'm kind of, I like I can do it all. I like doing it all. I mean, I do it from start to finish every year, but I mean, I'm primarily a goose guy. I like hunting cannabis. I love hunting specks. And specks is like a close second to snow geese to me. I've, I love, I've really grown into the speck hunting world and re, re, uh, the whole talking back and forth because they're like a turkey. They talk with you. And uh, snow geese, it's like, <clears throat> it's a different, it's a different grind. I mean, you got to get up early, be quiet, get stuff set up in the field, get everybody in the field, make sure everybody's set up and ready. Um, you do your morning hunt down here, however many birds you kill, about noon comes around and it, it dies off. They find whatever they want to feed and they sit all day, so you shoot your birds in the morning, pick up that spread, and you hit the road, start time payment, and start finding another feed to set up on the next day, and then, you know, once you secure permission on that, that next property uh, for the next day, then you wait for them to leave to go to the roots, and then you set up where they were left off at, and you go... Back, I mean, it could be like midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, by the time you get done setting up or back back to the house, uh, take a quick shower, a quick bite to eat, and get a few hours of sleep and then do it all again the next day. And guys that are dedicated to snow snogus hunting already know that grind. I already know that's what the expectation is. And when they already know what the expectation is, then it makes my job a lot easier. I don't have to tell you what to do all the time. Like, you, you knew... From working with me,
0: like you just—you yeah. hey, knew
2: you had to go scout. You knew you had to get yourself together for the next day, and I just let you let you go at it. But, hey Jay, uh,
1: well, I'm a I'm a I'm a different breed of person. That's what a lot of people don't understand. You ain't gonna find much that can work circles around me. Um, I think Track wants to I know got
0: a question. Yeah, so when you're hunting these snows, you're going from field to field. You're chasing them. I mean. Do you, how hard is it to ask for permission or get to the fields you want when you think you know where they're gonna head next?
2: Well, if if you if you knew me like Jake does, you know I I've never met a stranger. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I've talked to a lot of farmers over the years. So, I mean I I've been around farming and stuff my whole life. I know what to talk to them about you know you, you form a common common ground with them, and it opens up the door to communication about permission to hunt or whatever a lot of times a farmer doesn't really want a whole lot from you maybe just a little bit but most times money talks like especially in Arkansas um, pretty much any farmer as soon as you talk to them like yeah. hey you know you got these over here in the field they're sticking their hand out as uh-huh. far as they can because money talks
0: money talks that we get that but do you have, do you do any other what do you do when you are there any other tactics you have when you get told no, you know? what? How do you swing the negotiation? or the uh, Does it
1: just come down to the money and they're just – because we know a lot of these – and I'm not going to name these bigger outfitters, but, you know, a lot of these guys, like you said, Jared, money does talk. And, it, and they could have known you for 10 years, and you do have some of those loyal guys. So I think – what track's question was is do you have any other tactics that you can bring to the table besides having a loyal relationship with them and then just handing them hey here's a grand for a field so, I mean, do you bring anything bikes. presents for them or, or anything like that
2: um some of my farmers like in northwest Missouri I I, I live there so I see them multiple times a week sometimes sometimes I eat breakfast with them sometimes I'm drinking coffee with them at the truck stop uh sometimes I'm I'll be like, hey, you need help? You know, emptying a grain bin out. A lot of these guys are in their 60s or whatever. I'm in my mid 30s, so I can still have a little bit of a help that I'm not going to kill myself either. So, but I know there there is of the age now where we're bogging a bin out could be hard work. So I'll say, hey, if you need help, let me know. Offering help, like if if you hunt locally, helping a farmer out or at least offering help is like it goes miles with those guys and if you actually stand up to your word like if they're like they call you one day and say hey i need an extra hand and you're free if you actually go out there and help them out or whatever you'll you'll probably be able to hunt their land for the rest of your life because most people don't they they just say hey can i hunt then they hunt they leave shells trash rust whatever out on the field and then it ruins it for Everybody. Everybody
1: absolutely a hundred percent. I mean, it just goes back to earlier this year. I found a pond out here in Texas just loaded with birds and it was it was it's been a struggle down here in the south. And whistling I found it loaded with almost anything, any species you could think of. And I go up and I ask the farmer and he could tell I was knowledgeable about the farming background and I knew like he could tell I was respectful. He says, Man, I would love to give you an opportunity. But he said, I haven't let anyone hunted this pond in ten years. I said, well, what's the reasoning behind that, sir? He says, well, he says, I let a young boy come out here one day. He said he told me he was only going to have three or four friends come out. I come out, and there was 21 people hunting his spot. They didn't pick up any trash. They left birds behind, um, and I was just – and he said I was done after that. He's like, since that day, I've never let anybody – and he doesn't let even his, like, grandson – friends come and hunt it. Like it's it's strictly family and that's it. I was like supposed it is. Just a um a very very sad situation and that's what happens you know you get these guys that are just so disrespectful towards the land and they they ruin a bad name for me and you because when i roll up and you roll up you got missouri plates i got texas plates or iowa plates whatever it have and they're like oh another out of town or how is a farmer supposed to trust us you know what i mean um yeah so, so building that relationship and like you said Going out when he calls you. If it's Tuesday at 8 p.m. and he needs help doing one last row or getting the corn out of his, you know, tractor and putting it in the grain bin, and you have an extra hour, do it. It's gonna go a long way. like you said, you're probably gonna have permission for the rest of your life. People don't understand the smallest of gestures gets you a long way, and that's what's wrong with these young kids in these days. All they want to do is dress in whatever, blow whatever duck call, and and think they're some big shot, but they don't do the little things that get you know, that get them to where they need to be, you know?
2: Like I said earlier, I think I'm still kind of old school when it comes to this stuff. Like, uh, I have some farms that I don't have to pay at least on. I don't have to pay a dollar. And that big hill that you hunt on, um, he's the same way. I, I go to his house. Checking out, um, and I witnessed, the, hey, I there?
1: witnessed that relationship between you guys, you know, you invited me over and you said, Hey, you want to meet this farmer? And when we walked in, he treated you like you were his son. It was awesome to see, yeah. you know what I mean? I think he even offered us a beer or some coffee or something like that. And he, he just, he just wanted us to talk and hang out. He didn't care how long we were there, what we were doing. And you already knew you were going to get a, put a spread up, but you did exactly what you should do. You did, you went in there you you kept a relationship with him all year, and you could see that. You just didn't hit him up when it became snow goose season, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. let me put a spread on. You, and you can see that's that. That's
2: what a lot of farmers think. And I've, I've talked to a lot of farmers that said that same thing, like, oh, man, you know, you actually talk talk to us, and you actually, you know, speak to us in the off season, see how everything's going, see how the farm is going, see how our yield was or whatever. And there's he's like, uh, you're not like other out there just like, Whenever season's here, and then I never see you ever again till next year. He's like, Some people I don't really want to see till next year, but <laughs> he's like, But you know, there's guys out there that are actually genuinely want some kind of friendship. And I, you know, I love all my farmers, and most of my farmers are like me. I mean, we everybody's got a different personality, and there's been some farmers that I, you know, are different personalities too. That But you, also, but like you said also, earlier.
1: You are old school, and I think that's what works. You know what I mean? You're not afraid to say how it is and, you know, hey, this, this, and that. And I think a lot of those farmers respect that. You know what I mean? If you come walking up with a pair of skinny jeans and earrings in, they're probably going to be like, son, go ahead and hit the road. You know what I mean? So, But you're just – for a lot of people that don't know you, and this is what I wanted to bring up next, Jr. you are old school. I mean, like, you're not scared to – Yes, you have a brand. You've made Waterfowl Assassins a brand. And if anybody, if I got on anyone, any platform and said, "Hey, do you know Waterfowl Assassins?" They're going to say, "Yes, know, I know that." Yeah. And you've if you've created a brand. But what you're not scared to do, and and you don't see a lot of these big names do that. And I'm not going to name these other big outfitters. But when people bash, you know, their brand, a lot of these big outfitters just let it roll off. But you're old school, and you just, you know. You get on online and you kind of tell it how it is. You know, give me a chance. Come hunt with me before you talk about me. Get to know me, and that's that's. There's so many keyboard warriors these days that people don't really know the real Jr. And I've met the real Jr. And anybody that asks me about you, I'll, I'll tell them how I think about you, and I have nothing but respects and love for you. You've never done me wrong. You've always paid me on time. You've always been honest. You've always worked with me. Even on the days when you're like, Hey Jake, you know, I can't afford for you to go out and guide that day. But what I can do is get you on the next couple hunts to help you pay for your way home, or I'll pay for a hotel that night. You're giving me, you always give me extra money to help me out if I wasn't allowed to hunt that day. Cause you just, which is understandable because yeah. Guides want to hunt every day and make money and guide every day, but sometimes you just yeah. don't have that to where you can. And that's what people don't understand about you. If I didn't hunt, you know, you would give me, you know, $100 for a hundred dollars for gas, meter, or you gave me a hundred dollars to, you know, get back home and stay halfway in a hotel that made up for the hundred dollars that I didn't get for guiding that day. So all this little yeah. things. So okay. like when you get online and you see that stuff, people bashing something you've worked so hard for, for the last 17 years, I mean, You're old school. I see you on there chirping away, but you're telling facts. I mean, (laughs) chirping or honking. Let let everybody know a little bit, like of the real Jr. Because I think you're a hell of a guy, and a lot of people just get on there. And and I I will bet Jr. Probably ninety percent of those people that are talking about you have never even met you, hunted with you, or don't even have never even met you in person.
2: They talk to me, you know. So. I do things a little bit more different now, even uh, since you work for me. Uh, I mean, I got a house down here that uh, I rent, and uh, we cook. Um, I try to get uh, I mean, – snow gear season is going to be a little different because everybody's going to be a road dog. So um, right now, like duck season, sex season, we actually have the chance to come home and uh, eat dinner at a normal time. So uh, my girlfriend now, uh, she cooks the She makes really good food, uh, takes care of all of us, and like I said, there's a, about a sacred dozen of all of us here, and she cooks meals for sometimes breakfast if we're hunting closer here or something like that, but most of the time we're like an hour, hour and 20 minutes away or hour and a half away, so sometimes we're not exactly room that most of our guys stay in and there's a couple other separate bedrooms too so we put the heavy snores and the back rooms but um if like you said if a if guy doesn't eat i'm prepared to have uh three spreads a day running and that's most of all our snow this weekend are all three spreads folks. Sometimes with doing them down to like one. So I have guys that are going to be sitting on the hands, but I'm going to have them doing something else, you know, scouting, uh, washing decoys, or getting things organized, washing side by side, or something like that. Doing something just to burn their daily wage, some way, shape, or form. So uh, I have never, unless there were some trade cred- crazy thing that happened or something as far as i know everybody that has ever worked for me has gotten paid um there's been a couple episodes where guys have been fired or let go on certain terms that didn't get paid their full amount because of what it cost the company for whatever their mess up was so um and that's i feel that's about fair just like any other business would do so if you cause damage or something wasn't returned um Anything. Anything that costs the company money is usually taken out of your paycheck. Um, and I'm kind of old school in that fashion, too. If I buy all this stuff, and you mess it up on purpose, or you just wait and they don't return it, or well, I don't know where it went, you're going to have to pay for it. You're going to have to replace it. You're not, you're not going to just come here and use all the gear and equipment that's paid for by me just to destroy it because i try to make all this equipment last for at least a couple of years before i want to start replacing that way you're you're making your money back on the equipment that using. You know? so those guys out there that have new decoys new trucks new everything every year i don't know how they're making money when you're still when you're paying truck notes off and
1: private investors
0: <laughs> PE backed corporation
1: i mean yeah i mean a lot of these guys i think are sometimes full-time farmers too so they can business incorporate them yeah. um, so who I'm knows sure
2: there's, there's other you know loopholes and stuff but man i'm like back to the old school thing i've always worked i've worked uh i was a tradesman for years i've always worked my ass off and worked to, to get what i want and oh. whatever else to make me happy and that's Basically, this all boils down to, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I've been ran to the ringer online. Everybody knows that. Uh I, I'm still going to do what makes me happy, and I've been guiding this long. I'm still going to do it, but primarily, I'm a business owner first. I'm a guide second, and most of the time, I'm too busy running the business side of things anymore that, I'm not out in the field as much, but this year after COVID and stuff and kind of having to readjust some things, I've been out in the field a little bit more this year, and I'm not complaining about it because I've been actually being able to go out and do stuff a little bit more than, like, last year. I was so busy I didn't really get the time to – I couldn't be in the field all the time because I had to answer phone calls and text messages and Facebook messages and questions and just getting people lined out, getting ready for the next day. And just organization it's all just a big mess <laughs> half the time it's, it's an organized chaos is what it is and uh i try to i try to make things as easy as i can on these guys so, so i could be like hey like it says uh, everything's labeled i can tell them go out and grab stuff for that's fresh so everything's hey. labeled as fresh hey. whatever and Hey Jr. With
0: all these people that apparently talk bad about your business, I mean, you have all these repeat customers that come back. Obviously you're doing something right. I mean, you know, and that's what that's what these people
1: don't understand is you know you get on there and people want to say stuff, but yet you feel blinds day in and day out. You know what I mean? You have customers. So if yeah. if you weren't doing something right, why do they keep coming back? I mean, your your client percentage i would Im- i would imagine it's probably up there and what's your what what is your honestly return uh customer probably 85 90 percent i mean you're up there pretty pretty good i yeah. mean you, you have some guys that have been hunting with you consistently for years
2: yeah i got i've had i mean i got clients even like this year i've had some clients that came back multiple times in one year so and some of them are not well like they're not like a hop giving a job down the road like hey come up here it's a half half hour drive some of these guys are halfway across the country, and they're coming two, three, four times a year. So they come out, they want to hunt ducks with me in Missouri, they want to hunt ducks with me in Arkansas, they want to hunt sex in Arkansas, they want to do some goose hunting in Missouri again, or whatever. They're, they're going to make that trip. But if they hunted with me, you know, I have a personality in the field, I try to be funny. Well, that's well, like, and that's like,
1: and that's, and that's in the, speaking of personalities, yeah, we wanted
0: to ask this one. I wanted to ask this question. Like, what's your favorite, uh, what's your best blind joke
1: or, or what's the best you've heard? Because yeah. I know me as a guy. you well, you know, this and track doesn't know this as <laughs> much, but you have to fill your clients out before you start talking crazy and getting oh, yeah. into these jokes. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, what's some? <laughs> because you, you do have some of these guys who are like, you say something funny that nine out of 10 laughing, you got that one guy. That wasn't that yeah, funny. That, that, yeah, like, you can't say that nowadays. I mean, like, so you got any so, good blind jokes or good stories from this year or and the years past? Hey, and this so is this year, hey, this is, is an it, explicit radio, so you yeah, can say whatever you, say you, whatever
2: you whatever want. You want. <laughs> okay, so i had I had uh, a uh, client in Northwest Missouri this year where all uh, the blind it was kind of the slow time of the day or whatever, and uh, he had his uh, like I don't know, he's like his fourteen or fifteen year old son out there, we. We got on top of girlfriends and stuff, so I was telling them, like, Hey, you know, uh give them girlfriend advice which I've been through everything and and with with females like you can not even imagine. And we'll probably end up touching base on that at some point. But um I was giving them all this relationship advice. And of course it's like, um it's not like rated G. It's we're we're laughing, we're we're joking <laughs> and stuff you get to
1: get yeah, those those old timers yeah. talking about stuff like that. It gets pretty raunchy the dad, in the blind.
2: Yeah, the kids laughing, you yeah. know. He's, yeah. You know, they heard all in you? high school, and then the dad's laughing and stuff. He's he's uh, a couple years older than me, so uh, you know he's he's not really disagreeing or anything. But come to find out later on, uh, that guy was a pastor. Oh God, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> I was, I was like, oh man, I was saying was pretty 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 funny stuff. But, you know he. He, uh, actually, um, one, I mean, he said he was going to come back next year too. So, uh, he, they all had fun and, uh, you know, you just, on the full time being a guy, like you're saying, um, you gotta, gotta keep them entertained somehow. You gotta be kind of funny or whatever. Tell stories, talk about stuff. But, it
1: keeps uh, your day light. I feel like, because on those hunts oh. that are, are tough, man, you've been there way more than I have. And I've had my fair share of tough hunts. I mean, you know i'm a guy that a lot of these people don't understand you know i'm trying to make track who's just getting into it you know it's 10 10 30 and we only have four birds down he's like why aren't we just going home well you just never know man the wind might pick up the sun might peek out these birds might All be right. doing something you just never know now down south here in texas it's not like it is back home like back home dude you can hunt till two or three and still kill them here I will admit the hunting's normally done by about 10 30, 11. But you know, everyone down south, these boys want to pack up at 8, 8 30. And I said, I, that just don't work for me. So on days when it is long, you have to keep it light because if you don't keep it light and you're not joking around, it is going to be an awkward, weird morning. Well, what's
0: your blind joke, Riley? I think you have a good one, right? I Well, how to well
1: I'll, I'll tell it. I mean, JR, you've probably heard about Little Timmy, didn't you? about the the a through z so i i got told this joke one time in the blind and and i use it every time i guide or if i if i ever get a chance to if i get invited on hunts and the clients absolutely like it so long story short you know little timmy's sitting there he's kind of a mischief guy he's always getting in trouble in class and they go through the alphabet a through z teacher say all right here we go Letter A, little Timmy's in the background waving his hand. Pick me, pick me. I ain't picking you, Timmy. You're going to say something like S. She picks on little Claire. Claire, A, apple, good. Goes on B, hey, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'm not picking little Timmy again. He's going to say something. He's going to say a dumb cuss word. So he picks on Bobby, Bobby, B. He goes, boy, it gets all the way down to R. And he's like, all right, R. There's nothing in the world that he could say that starts with the letter R that I can think of
0: Maybe the hard R. okay
1: I'm going to give little Timmy a chance to say something little Timmy's in the background and he goes R rat with a dick this big Eddie. <laughs>
0: He he puts up his hands
1: and he's like, little Timmy did it again. And I had to send little Timmy to the principal's office. But a client told me that joke and I use that for my opener, almost anything to lighten the mood. And I tell you what, I cry every time I tell it, every time, I mean, it's just one of those things you got to keep it light and let's backtrack a little bit. You are in a relationship. You said that earlier and stuff like that, what is it like being in a relationship? It's nice for you because your you're gal, your old lady, whatever you want to call her, I've seen her. Um, she looks like she's good for you. She keeps your head on straight. Um, she helps you out a lot with your everyday stuff. I mean... Having a girl who's positive in your life in this business, I mean, it's got to be it's got to make you feel good and make you see an awesome future with that person. But if you don't have someone who's not fully involved, I mean, it's got to be hard. I mean, you've probably in the past had girlfriends didn't support you and stuff like that. I mean, what is that transition like? And you can say from both sides of the stories of having a girl that does support you and a girl that doesn't support you. It probably makes your life a lot more easier when you have a girl like, girlfriend like you do yeah. now that fully loves it. I mean, tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, most most uh, most of my guides, I mean, uh, over the years have been single single males, you know, mid mid twenties, you know, have uh, construction related jobs or like a seasonal job that can guide, and uh, myself included. um, like my girlfriend now, Stanley. she's she's pretty awesome. I mean, we all have our ups and downs in relationships and we all have our stressful times. And, and being a running and gunning guy, sir, uh, there's definitely some stressful times and um, times when I get home, I'm tired and I can't give, you know, full attention to my other half. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's very hard to do. And doing it, yeah, it's fun. It's uh, a lot of people uh deem it as a, a dream job, but it's also uh it's also something that's it's hard to carry a relationship through a hunting season as a recreational fun hunter, let alone a professional hunting guide. And uh I've had my fair share of duties, like I like I said before, I've uh I've had some girls that just drives them absolutely insane. Whenever I'm out hunting all day come back i'm tired i want to take a shower i want to grab something quick to eat and i just want to go to sleep because i'm dog dog ass tired you know and <clears> you <throat> you know like to get back from setting spread at you know, night you got to be up at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning by the time you get done taking a shower grabbing a quick bite to eat or something like that it's you're you're ready to go to sleep yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: and I'm an I'm an asshole without having a girlfriend. If I had a girlfriend, and <laughs> I, I, there's no way I could handle it because I'm giving people a little insight. When I worked for you, I've snow goose hunted before I worked for you, but I never did it as a guide. So I was like, okay, it's not going to be hard. And I never thought one thing was hard, but the amount of – effort and energy you have to have if you're not on your a game every day that's what people don't understand when you duck hunt and goose hunt you can slip up a little bit and you're still probably going to kill them and this, this and that but if you're not on your a game for snow goose it's not going to work out i can just to give these viewers and listeners a little thing we would wake up every day at 3 a.m by that time we were done scouting for you and we would meet back with you and have dinner and get a game plan and then set up um our decoys i was back at the house at 10 30 11 sometimes even midnight and I still had to shower I still had to get a little snack in me and I was falling asleep at 12 31 and then I got to get back up you know at 3 o'clock I'm running on three hours of sleep for the what I hunted with you from February 1st I, I followed you to Missouri so Missouri, I think I left on the 23rd um, to get back to Denver, so I hunted a solid, what, 63 days with you, oh. and every day I think I yeah. averaged maybe three to four hours of sleep. I mean, it's tough. So having a spouse or having a girlfriend that wants you to give their undivided attention, people don't understand how hard that is.
2: Yeah, and I've never been married. I'm 35 years old have never been married. I have, I have a young daughter, but uh, it, it's different, you know, when you go – when you have like a regular nine five job or whatever it is, like, a, you know, you can go normal, and do normal, things. Yes. Job. Yeah. You can actually go come home, eat dinner at a normal time. You can relax, wind down at the end of the day, watch TV together. You can do whatever. Um, You can have weekends off and stuff. That's, that's a normal, normal life. It doesn't have a normal life. I mean, she grew up waterfowl hunting, so she knows pretty good idea of what, what happens in the waterfowl world that, you know, and she still didn't uh, see. She she'd never been around the guiding stuff before, so she never really knew how much effort is put into this on a daily basis. And it's 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 painstakingly long days. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, and especially it's not hard work all the time. But it's a lot of driving. It's a lot of a lot of doing, picking up here, sitting out there, running here, running there, scouting all around, do stuff, and then you get back after dark. And by the time it's after dark. It's like, man, you don't have much time in the day, and she's and that's and great. that goes into
1: you also being a father. I mean, you have a little girl. I mean, you know, I've seen you around her. You know, you don't get an opportunity to see her that much during season because you're always on the go. But I'm sure you make up for it when it's in the off season. I mean. I've seen you around Face your time. little girl and it's crazy. You guys are always like you, I was about to mention that you guys are always FaceTiming or on the phone. So yeah.
2: even if you can't be Face with her, you're still
1: doing your due diligence as a dad. But I mean, t- talk a little bit about that. That I mean, how hard is that being a guide to and having a kid and not being able to see her when you want to, because you're working she, hard and, and doing stuff like that or, you know,
2: she's almost eight now. So she's, uh, and she's a very smart child too. i might my dad, but she's, uh, She's starting to understand more of what I do as a job. Now, the first five years that she was from, you know, the first five years of life, basically I stayed. I didn't go to Arkansas and stuff, but that, I didn't decide to go to Arkansas until she was a few years old, and I was confident that if I went out of state or whatever, everything was going to be fine. And uh, the first few years of her being around, I wanted to be around her a lot more. Uh so, and I also lived at the time around in city. So I was closer to her. Me and her mom, there to go. She's been married and everything. Uh, so she's, she was closer then. I could see her three, four times a week, pick her up after daycare. And now she's in school. So uh, back then I could see her a lot more. So I was there quite a bit more. And then uh, once I made the decision that, um, I needed to take uh waterfowl to full scale. Uh, I moved out of the Kansas City and moved up to Northwest Missouri where I did a lot of my, I do duck hunts in, in the fall and it's snow just hunting in the spring. So it sucked. Uh, the first few years that I was up there, I stayed at the lodge and came home whenever I need to, but I was like an hour and a half away from Kansas City, two hours away from Kansas City at any given time. But, um, now that I live up there, it's uh, a little bit different. I can actually only have to drive about ten minutes to go home every day instead of having to rent a lodge and stuff I'm already there. It's a little bit more convenient um but uh during the summertime, I try to steer as much as I can and with uh schedules are always conflicting so it's it's, it's hard i mean
1: so the more the more the moral of this story is if you're going to want to start a family and all this other stuff, you better get your P's and Q's and priorities before you even go to start to thinking you're going to guide full time and start running a business because it is hard on you guys. I mean, I've seen yeah. set, not, not just you, but I have other buddies, you know, I'm about the only one that's not you know married or engaged or have kids and thank God. Cause I don't know where I'd be, but um you know, it's, it's, it's tough. So a lot of these guys that think they're going to start that, I mean, If you're going to do it, I always tell everybody, get into it while you can when you're young because when you get into your 30s and stuff and your kids start to get older and, you know, if you're engaged or if you're dating your girlfriend or whatever wants to, you know, settle down, it's going to be hard to do those things unless you have someone that fully understands your lifestyle and how you do it. And it kind of seems like, you know, I, I don't work for you anymore, but, you know, I still follow you and follow what you're doing around and it seems like you have a lot of stuff going on. So... Before we wrap this up, JR, let's um, give these guys where you're going to be at, what your schedule looks like for the remainder of February and March. And go ahead and give your, um, you can, if you want to, you can give your handle out for Instagram, your Facebook page. I mean, you're pretty much well known, but for people that don't know who you are that would like to book a hunt with you, go ahead and let us know where you're going to be at for the next two, three months and um, go ahead.
2: So, uh, Starting tonight, we are going to be cutting spreads um, for tomorrow morning's to opener for a conservation order. Um, and we'll be here till the 23rd of February. And then we will be starting up in Northwest Missouri the 25th of February. And then be there till the 14th of March. And then South Dakota after that until further notice. So, kind of the first couple weeks we're up there, I try to get. Uh, schedule clients up there and the birds are kind of hanging around and then we're kind we're of do like some spot sale type stuff but um, <laughs> pretty much from here till South Dakota all my weekends are booked up three spread solid and then my weekdays are kind of willy nilly here and there but most of those are like two three, uh, about two, two groups every day sometimes middle of the week it's kind of hard to, to get fully booked up that's thought the plan ahead big time but um I have a lot of um sporadic weekdays available like a Tuesday and Thursday or a Tuesday and Wednesday Thursday or something like that here and there That just I could handle a group here and there but that's that's about it I mean <clears throat> South Dakota I can handle people but uh I'm kind of telling everybody just to kind of hold on and see how this migration goes that they can, if they want to plant for South Dakota, it would be uh, later in March is what I would do, but uh, kind of let all those breeder birds pass and get some of the middle-aged birds that have made it the last couple of years you know, I get <clears throat> get some four- or five-year-old birds that are still semi-dumb. But they've been hit hard the last couple of years, so I really don't know um, how everything's going to uh, pan out as far as Storms, you know, winter storms and stuff always come crazy late, things like February and early March, we start we get some weird at, adverse weather, but um, if you want to book a hunt or check my availability, my phone number is 816-806-1902, and um, just, a page, just uh, look at, uh, look up waterfowl assassins on any social media platform, and it should be the first that pops up so
1: and then your personal yeah. site on instagram or facebook is what that way people can see you know the real you and get to get the image of hey who am i booking a hunt with i want to know a little bit more about that guy um what's your hey, instagram
2: my, my personal instagram is jr underscore borshell b-o-r-c-a-t-l-p um and then my personal page on facebook is jr also so it's like uh I keep it pretty easy if you wanna find me it's it's all right there. But we uh my the Waterfowl Assassins Instagram page has got over thirteen thousand followers and we post a lot of stuff on there. Uh I'm pretty much uh the main one that's in charge of the social media accounts, so that's Waterfowl
0: uh, Assassins?
2: Okay, just uh search Waterfowl Assassins and it's spelled A S S A S S I N S. Okay. You can search waterfowl assassins on any social media platform. It should be the first one pops up. So. And you want to repeat your phone well, number well,
1: again for the listeners. Yeah, repeat, repeat that for the listeners. Jr., your phone number one more time for anybody that wants to get of You and like I said, he's pretty much booked up, but he has a couple days that are through here with waterfowl uh, assassins guide service. He runs Arkansas, Missouri, South Dakota. Um, get a hold of him. You're, I guarantee you, you're, ha- you're gonna have a good time with this guy. He's gonna shoot you straight. He's gonna you know, give you some knowledge. You're going to see good dog work. You got all rain, man. He's, he's looking like he's going to turn out pretty special. I don't know if he's going to be as special as stormy was oh. for you, but I mean, you're pretty happy with him and he looks like he's turning it's, out to be a good dog. So.
2: I love, I love, I've loved all my duck dogs with that. Uh, I mean, I've had um, rain is my seventh lab now that I've had over the years. So uh, I just had to recently put uh, stormy down. She was old, head cancer. uh was, having a hard time walking and stuff. She was, uh, would have been 12. Uh, she would have been 12 in December this year, I'm pretty sure. Um, Rain is now almost four, and he is a stud. Like, he just, uh, we had to pick up some triples yesterday across the road, and uh, he ran nine blinds. Uh, on birds that usually a dog sees, boom, 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 sees birds go down, and then he remembers somewhat that there was another bird that fell out there, I need to go find it. There's another bird out there, I need to go find it. These birds, he just went out totally blind. Never seen a, never heard a gunshot, never saw a bird fall, nothing. He was like, why, why are you sending me on a blind? Like, what What are you doing right now? You didn't even throw a bumper. Like, what's going on? So I just lined him up. I sent him on one blind. He got over one levee, got over the next levee, and all of a sudden he fell white out in the field and went for it. And there was nine, nine birds out there we had to get, and he got all nine of them. In quick, like wow. manner, so well, hell yeah, and you can, Sounds you incredible
1: can, you can. That's what I tell everybody, man. And um, and we're gonna wrap it up real quick. But you can, you can teach a dog a lot of things, but what you can't teach is instincts and drive. And it looks like yeah. Rain's got that. I hunted over Stormy with Lily, and I'd love to get down uh, to Arkansas and hunt some snows if we can figure something out this year. and Maybe get back old Lily and maybe run Lily and Rain together and see if we can make it work. But we're gonna go yeah. ahead and wrap wrap this up. Jr. Go ahead and give your phone number one more time, your Instagram handle, and if you guys like what you guys see, book a hunt with Jr. He's good and he's knowledgeable. He's gonna put you guys on the birds, and I guarantee you're gonna have a fun time. So hit that one more time, Jr.
2: Uh, phone number is eight one six eight zero six nineteen zero two. Waterfowl assassins on any social media platform. And obviously I'm Jr. Borchel, and uh, this is my 17th year in business. Like, let's get in on the spin. Dude knows what he's
0: doing, y'all.
1: Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you, Jr. Man, you go out, you go kill those right, white man. birds, man, and you take care, and we'll keep in touch. Thanks, appreciate you. We
0: appreciate you, Jr. Right, man. Thank you. See you. Man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, you bet. See you. See
1: you. Once well, again, guys, that was Jr. Borchel from uh, owner-operator of waterfowl assassins guide service i mean i guided for him for a year and then i went on and had a better opportunity but you know there's a lot of people out there that know him for some negative things that have gone in his career but i can promise you this guy's gonna do it right he's gonna do everything in his power to put you on birds he's gonna tell it how how it is i mean when you're a guy that's spending your hard-earned money and you're looking for a good hunt. This is a guy to go after. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, he goes he's,
0: all up and down the migration path. He's a snow geese guy. Fucking loves it. You know, he was telling... I've learned a lot just from listening to him today. Like, that's a legit guy right there, man. He knows the farmers. He's been doing it for about 17, 18 years. Shit, man. He knows where to go. He knows where to get them. And I guarantee you, you'll kill him if you book a hunt with him. Just from what I heard today. So,
1: I mean... So everybody, you know, we, we like to do um, one thing around here. We do a lot, but there's one thing that we love to do, Mills, and that's what? Stay we stay unguided. Guided.